It's not fair. Remember when you were a little kid and you always used to say that? I mean, I know I did. It's not fair, mom. I would say that and my parents would look me square in the eye and say, Jody, life isn't fair. And I watched them seemingly be perfectly in acceptance of this concept. So much so that I thought that when I grow up, I too would be totally fine with life not being fair. I'm still not there. And I thought I would be. I thought that, you know, when I was little and even somewhat today, I think that it should be that if you do good things, good things should happen to you. That there should be some sense of fairness. Maybe not completely, but sorta. I saw this episode of Red Table Talk and something that they shared literally broke my heart. Like it was so unfair. It made me angry and sad at the same time. And I want to share that with you guys on today's episode of Big Time Small Talk. Let's get into it. Welcome to Big Time Small Talk. I am your host, Jody Rollins. And today's episode, we are going to be talking about fairness and unfairness. Even how I say it, it like just makes me mad. Unfairness. Oh. <laughs> it's an interesting topic, I think, because, I mean, let's just get into this. The the idea that life is unfair is something that we've all been told, right? Since day one, since we could understand English or whatever language you may have spoken first. And for me, I mean, I'm kind of the type of person where it, life doesn't have to be completely fair for me or for everyone or anyone, I guess, but just a little fairness. And, you know, I look at, even if you look outside of yourself, like I, I mean, I look at, for example, gosh, I, I promised myself I would steer away from politics today. So the example I want to say, I'm not going to say, because this is going to be a politics, a political free episode. Okay, I'm, I'm promising, promising, promising. My fingers are not crossed. I'm not going to do it. But I think back to um, like, what, 10, 12 years ago? I don't even remember how long ago it was when Sandra Bullock was cheated on by her dirtbag husband. She had, for those of you who don't remember, she had won this Oscar. I mean, she's America's sweetheart. I love Sandra Bullock. Her movies, I just think anytime I see interviews with her, she just seems like someone I would want to be friends with. And I feel like I could trust her. She may be totally different than that, but I just feel that way. And I think she's incredibly talented and beautiful. And she's up there on stage tearfully thanking her dirtbag husband for all of the support and how lucky she felt to have someone who loved her so much. I can't even remember, but it was this very touching and poignant way to say thank you to the person that she loved. It wasn't just like, thank you, honey, I love you. It was just like, and to you for your kindness and your whatever. And then it came out like the next day or so that he was cheating with multiple women. And it's just... Ugh. Like you can watch the video and see him looking up at her. And when you first saw it, when everybody, when all of the world saw the Oscars, it was like, wow, what a beautiful relationship. Because he wasn't from showbiz. It seemed like he was a regular dude. And they were just this great couple. Like who really knows, right? What goes on behind closed doors. But I, I want to believe good things. So I believed that. And when I first watched her thanking her husband, it looked like he was sheepish and like, oh my gosh, me? No, this is your moment. But then later on, you know, several days later when they were replaying it because it was this huge thing, the look in his eye, honestly, when you see it 
knowing that he had already cheated on her multiple times, it almost looked like he was like, hey, let me just smile and look grateful because I'm a liar. Like, it's just, ugh. And it was so unfair. Like, she works her butt off and makes millions of dollars. And he lived in this mansion with her and had a cushy life and cheated on her. And I just thought that was gross and not fair. Obviously, I don't live her life. Maybe somebody could make the, the, the case that, you know what, she's got ma- millions of dollars and she's got a successful career and she seems happy. Why not her? And that's the thing with fairness. It just, how do you really judge it? You can only judge it from your own personal perspective. And as I mentioned in the uh, cold open, I saw something that I was just like, wow. It kind of stopped me in my tracks because it, it lent itself to the epitome of unfairness. Maybe. I guess it all depends on how you look at it. So before I tell you the story, I do want to always, as I always do, say thank you guys for tuning in. If you like the show, please click subscribe, click five stars where available, leave a review if you can, and share the program with just one person. If you can share with more, that's great too. But like, subscribe, review, share, pick one or two of those. It's a, it's a, smorgasbord of options for you to choose from. But if you can do all of the above, I greatly appreciate it. It is very difficult to grow a podcast when you are not a celebrity. So I appreciate every single one of you and all of the actions that you take by listening to this show and subscribing and all of that. If you want to follow the show, you can follow me on Instagram at Jody Rollins, my name, J-O-D-I-R-O-L-L-I-N-S. It's right there in your app. Uh, if you'd like to write the show, you can write me at bigtimesmalltalkpodcast at gmail.com. So thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. Otherwise, I would be sitting here talking to my self. Well, I am talking to myself right now, but you know. So what I saw, let's get into this. Let me adjust myself in the chair here. What I saw on the Red Table Talk, which again, if for those of you who may not know, I think I've mentioned Red Table Talk on another episode of the show, but it's Jada Pinkett Smith, who's married to Will Smith, actor Will Smith. Uh, She has her own sort of talk show and they cover a variety of topics that are all about sort of learning and healing and growth, I think, and positivity. And they, they like dive deep. They don't just do a bunch of celebrity interviews. And I've mentioned this before. I just don't like the shows that are just like, Hey, celebrity. So what kind of antics did they do on the set behind the scenes? Well, we played practical jokes and (laughs) I just love working with Susie and, you know, James and their wonderful actors and their craft. And, you know, I'm not interested in that. It has its place, but I want to know what makes these people tick. I think it's very easy to look at celebrities and think you have the perfect life, especially we as women. I mean, when you look at other women, we're going to be judging their physical appearance. Oh, they're beautiful. They're thin. They're successful. They're rich. They're giving to charity. So it almost looks like they literally have the perfect life. And so for me, when I get to see these celebrities talking about the things that have hurt them, that have broken them, that have touched them. It's, it's sort of another, another way to reinforce that A, money doesn't buy happiness. You can be happy with money. I mean, money makes life easier, but it doesn't make you inherently happy. You can be miserable and be rich. I mean, we have enough dead celebrities who had drug overdoses to prove that. I mean, just there's many, many, many of them, you know, old ones from, gosh, Jimi Hendrix to Amy Winehouse to Whitney Houston to just the list goes on and on. Elvis, just all these people that seemingly had everything and yet they were on drugs and died. 
You know, I remember when Heath Ledger died. That was so sad. Such a talented actor and such a bright future. So I'm watching Red Table Talk and it's Will Smith. He did a Red Table Talk takeover, if I can say that, meaning Jada was nowhere to be found. I don't know if she was on vacation, but he started talking about how the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you know, that, that it's night, was it 1980s or was it 90s or both? Gosh, I don't even know. I think it was 90s, maybe a mixture, late 80s. Uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air sitcom, and they're doing a, like a reunion. I don't know if it's a re reunion show or just like an hour, where are the stars now or what it is. But for those of you who may or may not remember, that show was a huge hit. And on the show, his aunt, the woman who played Will Smith's aunt, was an actress who was later on, I think season four, they said, she was replaced. And I can't remember her name. I should know her name, but I didn't know I was going to talk about this. I try to make the show as authentic as possible and just what's on my mind. So forgive me, I don't remember her name. I'll probably look it up during the break. But um, so we'll call her Aunt Viv for the time being, because that was her character's name. And so she was replaced in season four. And I just, I had known that I wasn't a huge fan of the show. I did watch some of it, but it was like, whatever. And um, I had known that she had been replaced and there had been talk, like murmurs of things about what exactly happened. But you have to remember, this is pre-cell phones when this show was out, pre-Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, all of that. So there was no social media. And if you think about it, we, I mean, if you wanted, for those of you who are younger, if you wanted to know anything meaty, like some kind of truth about like the relationships or what's been going on with them, or are they, you know, in debt with the IRS or they're getting a divorce or whatever, if you wanted to know any of that, you had to read People magazine or like Star, which was a tabloid, or the National Enquirer, which was another tabloid. Like they, they were the ones that had a bunch of the titillating stories about celebrities. And a lot of it wasn't true. And you never knew what was really true and what wasn't true. Jump to now, social media is here. We have access to celebrities. They are posting. Something happens. They release a statement. They release a video. It's right there on their social media and you're holding it in your hand and you can comment on it. There wasn't any of that. And, and we also have what TMZ, uh, TMZ, which is, I don't even know if it's a TV show anymore, but it's, uh, you know, a tabloid website and they have tons of videos and the paparazzi, you know, go around looking at different celebrities lives and stuff. And usually when a star dies, they break the news and they are almost always right. Like if so-and-so's relationship is on the rocks, they'll, they'll break the news. And even though these celebrities are still claiming, no, 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 we're very happily married. Six months later, they're getting a divorce. So the reason I mention these things is we didn't have access to celebrities. We didn't really know what was going on behind the scenes. We would only hear little bits and pieces. And so back when Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was popular, we didn't really know what happened. It was just murmurs. And over the years, more and more details have come out. I mean, but I wasn't following. I don't, I just, I wasn't paying attention to that. So here we are today, Will Smith on the Red Table Talk. He introduces the show and says one of the most painful things, and I'm paraphrasing, that's not exactly what he said, but you can watch the episode. But one of the most painful things in his life was what happened with this actress that played Aunt Viv and how she was replaced. And they kind of cut to Aunt Viv and Will Smith meeting up together before this reunion, because he says, he being Will, I'm on a first name basis with good old Will, Will Smith, we're old buddies. No, we're not. Um, so Will Smith says, you know, before we do this reunion, I can't, I can't in good conscience have a reunion without everyone being at this reunion. Both actresses that play Aunt Viv have to be there. 
And I haven't spoken to the original actress that played Aunt Viv for 30 years. 30 years. They had some kind of falling out and never spoke again. And this is getting to the whole fairness thing that I was starting the show with, I promise. And so he talks about how they had set up a meeting to meet before they were on some kind of studio soundstage. They're sitting in the audience. It's just them and a camera crew. And they sit down in the chairs, like the velvet chairs, you know, with, and God, it just, it broke my heart because again, the actress that plays aunt Viv starts to talk about what happened to her. And from her perspective, like Will Smith just listens. He doesn't say, but I, and, and back then, and you, and he's just like, tell me your side of this story. Yours. I don't even think he said your side. He said your story. He was totally open. He wasn't sitting there defensive. He was willing to listen to whatever this stuff that had happened for the last 30 years. So actress Aunt Viv proceeds to say, I had gotten hired to do The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I was around 34 years old. I came straight from Broadway. You know, she, she was like the consummate actress, right? She was professional. She had studied this. She was a dancer. I mean, coming from Broadway, that's a huge deal. She was a serious actress who'd gotten hired to be on this kind of silly sitcom. And they get Will Smith, who was like a rapper, and he himself said he had like a failed album and he was, his, his career was floundering. And so to him, it was like, sweet, I got a job. He was 21 years old and he was very insecure. He came from a childhood where his dad was violent and beat up his mom and all these things, right? Just so he just was looking for approval. And he himself says that, that I was looking for approval. That's why I always wanted to make people laugh because if they're laughing at my jokes, then that means they like me and they approve of me and that was good. And if they don't laugh at my jokes, if they don't approve of me, if they don't like me, he basically said, I will turn on you like you've never been turned on before. And so when actress Aunt Viv is talking about life on the set with Will Smith, 21-year-old Will Smith for the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, she said that he was, I mean, again, paraphrasing, but he was kind of this arrogant clown. And he would bring a posse and an entourage of his dudes onto the set, and they would be partying and making noise and all of these things. And she was just there to work. She said there were times when she didn't even want to get out of her car to go to the soundstage. Because basically, if you didn't party down and kiss up to Will Smith, life was miserable. And so she just was there to work and he didn't appreciate that. And so he turned on her. And next thing you know, her part was greatly reduced and they gave her a choice. And she said this, that you could work 10 weeks a year and not work anywhere else or you can quit. 10 weeks, which is nothing, right? A year, two months, that's two months with, you know, two and a half, whatever. So she's like, I didn't have a choice. I was just put in this position where I was given garbage or I had to quit because it was so miserable. I mean, he would be late and all of these things. So she had to quit. But the press basically reported it and over the 30 year process as if she was difficult. She was a bitch. She was terrible to work with. She was arrogant. She was a know-it-all. She was a goody-goody. She was all of these negative things. And Will Smith was perfect. He was perfectly good and elevated. And everyone has loved that show for 30 years since the day it started till now. People still talk about it. Will Smith goes on to 
I don't know if he ever won an Oscar, but maybe Oscar nominated, but Golden Globe, something where his career was just, again, elevated. And he, it was almost like his crap didn't stink, right? But juxtaposed to that is Aunt Viv, who lost work. She said she was in this abusive relationship. And so her work wasn't working. Her home life wasn't working. She was a new mom. Now she has to figure out how to put food on the table and in the baby's mouth. And nobody wants to hire her. Nobody wants to work with her. She said the black community turned their backs on her like, what are you doing? This is, you know, Will Smith, huge star. Like, this is a big deal. Black people are getting jobs. And this is, this is, you know, what you're doing. Again, that part, I paraphrase, but she herself said, and I quote, the black community turned their backs on you, on me. And she said they would write her on Instagram and say, you're not dead yet. You should just die. You know, you bitch. You were so selfish. You were so arrogant. And she did nothing wrong. She just was there to work and didn't want to party with 21-year-old Will Smith. And when she was done sort of laying all of this out, and it was kind of like, <sighs> she said, I never told my story. I just kept quiet. She didn't really say why. I don't know if she felt like no one would listen or when she started to tell her story, people turned their backs. I don't know. But when she said all of that, instead of Will Smith saying, but I was 21, I, but I, but you didn't know, and but what you didn't feel, and but he didn't say any of that. He just said, I hear you, and I'm sorry. And she, you know, they hugged, and seemingly they forgave each other. But the reason I bring all of that up is it's about how unfair. You work your entire life to be an actor and to scratch and climb your way to a place where you can make a living, where you are seen as excellent and hardworking and, you know, all of this dance that she did, that all the skills that it took to be a good dancer and to be an actress on Broadway, and then to have it all ripped out from under you. How fair is that? And then the guy who did it to you goes on to super duper stardom. That's not fair. It's not fair. I mean, I don't know where she went with her life. I don't know if she was in a place where she could have said, you know what, I'm going to speak out. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to make sure everyone knows that that's not the case. I don't know what she did or didn't try. But how unfair was that? And that's the kind of thing that I personally can't stomach. When people are doing the right thing, they're just living their life, they're doing the best that they can do, and something absolutely egregious happens to them. 30 years she couldn't or didn't clear her name. 30 years of people looking at you sideways when you go to the grocery store, thinking you don't deserve a job that you probably did deserve. Completely unfair. I don't know how you don't let that eat you up when Will Smith is getting movie role after movie role, and then he's got a TV show, and he's got this, and he's got products, and he's, you know, uber duber rich, and you're sitting in your apartment trying to make a living. How do you not let that eat you up inside? How? I think when it comes to fairness, we obviously aren't all celebrities with extreme examples like that. But I'm sure there's something in your life, and there are a lot of things in my life that I know are so unfair. And it's been a struggle. And there's one thing I think when you look at unfairness, it's very easy to, to be envious or jealous. And there's one thing whenever I feel that way, 
that I always remind myself of that kind of kicks me out of that mode when I feel like something's so unfair that this person got that or that person got this or it happened, this happened to them. This one thing I always say to myself that just stops me in my tracks when I'm going down the unfairness pity train. And I want to tell you what that is coming up after the break. Stay with me. Okay, the actress's name is Janet Huber. I looked it up during the break because I can't just keep calling her Aunt Viv. That's not respectful. It's not respectable. Janet Hubert. That's a lot <laughs> on the microphone, but Janet Hubert um, from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And, oh, God, that story. I just... I almost wish they would do a part two so they could dive deeper into what was her life like for those 30 years. Because at a certain point, you have to take responsibility for whatever happens. Like, you know, maybe not your onus. You can't say, what's well, my fault that Will Smith was an arrogant 21-year-old? I can't say that, but I can say, look, these are the cards I've been dealt. What are we going to do now? You know, there's a lot of... Um, I think there's a TED talk and some motivational speakers that talk about instead of saying, why did this happen to me? You say, what now? What next? Take the next right action, right? The next right step. I think they say that in AA. What are you going to do? Because you can waste your time and get caught up in why? Why me? Why did this happen? But when you think about fairness, it's almost a trap, and it's a trap because while Janet Hubert, I can look at her life and say, my gosh, 30 years of feeling that pain and, you know, not getting specific jobs because people believed Will Smith's version of what had happened on the set of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. 30 years. But you could also look at it and say, you were on a hugely successful television show for four years. I was an actress for, let's see, I started when I was 19 and then I, and people laugh, but I'm like, no, I retired in, let's see, when I was probably 30 years old. So about 11 years. And I was like, I'm good. <laughs> I am good. I did a little singing and stuff like that until I was uh, maybe about 34. So maybe 15 years total of doing that. And people go, ha ha, you retired. I'm like, yeah, I did. Because even though you don't know my name because I'm a famous actress, it was 15 years of rejection. Um, yes, I did get roles. Yes, I did work. I worked professionally where my only job was acting, which was finally when I hit that moment in my career, I'm like, oh my God, I'm not waiting tables. I am actually an actress. I'm not famous, but I am an actress and I am working and I am paying my bills only on this job, not a side job. But we can look at Janet Hubert and say, well, okay, all of that stuff was unfair but I have never been on a nationally, internationally probably syndicated successful show for one second, let alone four years. Now I was on a reality show, but that's nothing like it, you know? So it's very easy to look at Janet Huber's life and go, wow, that's so terrible. That's so unfair. But then you have to step back and go, you got all of these opportunities. And maybe in that 30 years, it didn't work out the way you had expected it to. But maybe you did voiceovers. Maybe you did other small parts. Maybe, I don't know. In fact, I'm going to look up on my phone right now to see on her IMDb. I am... DB, which is, in case you're not familiar, Internet Movie Database. It's an app. 
you can download it imdb it's totally free and it has every actor you can think of and all the ones that you can't i'm on imdb actually for a movie role that i had that you've never heard of and in my maiden name and then i'm on there for big brother some source some data person puts your name in there and it'll list all of your credits all the movies and tv shows you've done all the awards all of that so if you hadn't heard of it imdb so let's look up one second janet huber janet Hubert. Okay. So let me get this one second. All right. Oops, just hit the microphone. Forgive the delay. What does it say for her career? Okay, so the credits go in order of the timeline of when the item was, you know produced so it says in 2019 she had a show or a movie in 2015 2016 2017 there was another one in 2015 um, a broadway show in 2020 i mean maybe i don't know what that was there's no real information it says she was on general hospital from 2018 to 2020 christmas something i can't read it because it's really small i don't have my glasses so 2019 another thing in 2019 another role in 2016 2017 2016 2015 2015 if i keep going all the way back 2018 2013 2011 so she worked and worked and i go all the way back let me see in 1989 let's see fresh prince of bel-air okay here we go 1990 to 1993 for her and then she had a, a gig in 94, uh, several gigs in 94, and then 95. So she kept working. It wasn't super stardom, but it looks like, I mean, I can't tell you if these roles were huge or medium size or tiny, but they are, you know, known people and known shows, some of these things as I look. But the point is, in life, whenever things aren't seemingly fair, you know, when you're like, oh man, I wanted that job. I wanted to whatever, get pregnant now, not six months from now. I wanted to get into this relationship. I wanted a job that's COVID safe. I wanted to whatever, you know, we, my husband and I are trying to buy a house, not me, I'm just saying as an example but we lost the first three houses. Why? It's so unfair. It's so easy to say that. And maybe you don't say that, but I know I say that. I know my friends, I had this one friend who would say that all the time. In some way, life oftentimes feels unfair. And you'll feel a little envious. Why did they get the house that we put an offer on? You know, you get in a bidding war. Or why did they get that job? Or whatever the thing is. And I, I always tell myself one specific thing that kind of, you know, wakes me up, knocks me on my butt and says, stop this. And you know what that one thing is? Whenever you're feeling envious or jealous or having this sense of unfairness and there's no justice in whatever the situation is that you are trying to get or attain or whatever, I always say, well, put yourself in the place of the person who got the thing or is doing or has the thing that you want. You know, say for example, you um, wanted a particular acting role and you know the actress who got it. This happens a lot because I know back in my acting days, you would see the same few actresses. I mean, you'd see many, many, but there'd be some that you're like, oh good, there's her again, you know, because we are the same type and we'll be showing up for the same types of auditions. And then she would get the role and you're like, that's not fair. And maybe if you knew her, you knew that she's also in an abusive relationship. And yes, she got this great acting role, but when she goes home, 
her boyfriend's kicking the crap out of her. So do you really want her life? That's the question I ask myself. It's very easy to say, I want that, that external thing. I want that job, that role. I want that flat stomach. I want, you know, that nose, especially women. They want something physically that's different. Oh, I wish my legs were longer. Let me just say here, and I'm going to be completely transparent and completely open. I'm five foot seven. And my whole life, the way my body is built I mean, obviously, since day one, it's been built basically the same. Obviously, I grew and <laughs> I didn't come out of the womb at 5'7", but I have long legs. My whole life, women, men, and everybody have said to me, oh my gosh, you have such long legs. I wish I had long legs like you. And to me, they're just the legs that I have. But the downside is... I have the world's shortest torso. I'm like, that's one of the reasons why my legs look so long because in connection with that, I have this little stump of a torso. My neck, I mean, you look at models and they have these long swan-like necks. I have just enough neck so that I don't look like I have just a head and shoulders. Like my neck's fine, right? But long legs, as great as they are, when I sit down, almost all of me is gone. There's a, a picture my husband and I, we always laugh at, or I, I actually laughed first and he, I pointed it out. It was like an anniversary celebration years ago. I want to say like maybe our fourth anniversary. And we're sitting in the booth at the restaurant and the waiter's like, oh, can we take a picture for your anniversary and blah, blah. And so they take a picture and I look at it and I, no joke, I'm like five inches below my husband. When we take pictures, he is almost the opposite. He has a long neck and a long torso, and then we have the same length of legs. My husband's 6'2". Think about that. He's 6'2", I'm 5'7", and we have the same length of legs. But when we sit down, I look like his kid. I'm like, I, so now we know when we take pictures, if we're seated, I'm like, kind of scooch up a little bit, you know, and he kind of scooches down so that we look more even. I mean, that's sort of fun, but it's easy to think, oh my gosh, I wish I had long legs. I buy jeans and I look like I'm wearing high waters because they're not usually long enough. So I have to buy jeans there for somebody who's like five, nine, but then the waist part goes up to my boobs and it looks, it's a whole thing. Now, of course, that's not life's problems. Oh my God. Right. But it's just an example how one thing looks easy and great if you don't have it, but then there's something else that might come with it. You know, I mean, I have a friend who seemed from the outside, well, we're not really friends anymore. We just kind of drifted apart, nothing terrible. But from the outside, she seemed to have the most perfect life right? She met this guy. He was tall, dark, and handsome, and rich, and they got married, and they moved into his home, and then they bought a bigger home, and it's like in this gated community, not my style, but still a lovely house with this pool that's like built into the mountain, and their kids go to private schools, and all of these things seemed so perfect. Like, oh my gosh, she had the two little girls and she wanted to get pregnant and then poof, she got pregnant. And then she, you know, waited a little bit and she wanted to get pregnant again. And poof, you know, there are women who are like dying to get pregnant or like have to wait six years or whatever it is. And everything seemed to go perfect. She had a tiny little waist and physically she is beautiful. So from the outside, everything looked happy. But then I remember one day we were talking on the phone and she just broke down and she was like, my husband cheated on me and I have these two little girls and I can't break up our family. I don't want to break up our home. We're going to counseling, but I sit in the shower and I cry. I cry there because that way my daughters won't hear me. My husband won't know, but I just sob. And her life was miserable. And eventually they kind of worked on their marriage, but you could always tell when I would hang out with her that it was just enough. Like she wasn't happy. And her life more so became about things. And when we would talk on the phone, it was about 
financial stuff and money and look what we can buy and look where we're going and look who we know and all of these things because she didn't have happiness in her home. I remember when she talked about being pregnant, she was like, oh, I was just so fat. And I think about women who would love to have that baby bump and that extra body weight. But to her, it was just disgusting. And I think one of the reasons that we started to drift apart was because I couldn't be in a friendship where it was based on superficiality. It was all about brands and labels. Don't get me wrong. Sure, labels and brands are fun and nice and whatever, but in moderation. It just was every conversation. And she was looking to the next person. Oh, well, why don't I need to get the newest Range Rover or the newest whatever Mercedes? But she wasn't really happy. So when you looked at her life from the outside, you might say, that's not fair. She didn't have to work. She just kind of went shopping. Her husband gave her a stipend and she would go shopping. That sounds like a great life to me. <laughs> hey, bills are paid. Beautiful family. But I wouldn't trade that for all the money in the world. Because my husband makes me happy. My husband talks to me. My husband and I do things together. We just celebrated our anniversary and he surprised me with a beautiful weekend and we care about each other and he's not cheating on me. And I know when you say that, sometimes women will say that, you know, I don't live that way. We don't have that kind of relationship. He's not cheating on me. I'm not cheating on him. Are we as rich as that friend of mine? No. Is life as seemingly easy as her life was? No, but that's the whole point. You have to say to yourself, and again, this is the thing that I say to myself when I'm feeling envious, when I'm feeling jealous, because it is a natural thing. And we all pretend like we aren't jealous. Oh no, I'm so happy for her. No, sometimes we aren't. It is human to feel envious. It is human to feel jealous. And to me, and I'd have to look it up because I looked it up once, the difference, and I get them mixed up, but for sure, there is a difference between envy and jealousy. To me, at least, jealousy is, I want that. And envy is, I don't want that person to have that, what I want. So to be clear, just again, it's jealousy is, oh, she has a beautiful house. I want that house. I don't care if she has it or not. I want a house just like that. And then envy is, oh, she has a beautiful house. That bitch I don't want her to have it. I should have that house. I mean, it's awful. But sometimes you feel a little green with envy or a little green with jealousy. But it's important to realize that you have these ideas in your head about fairness, or what's fair. Why don't I have this or that? Why haven't I experienced that? You know, sometimes I hear myself and I, 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 I live my life. Obviously, I'm in my bones and in my body. I'm experiencing Jody Rollins's life and the struggles that I go through, but I listen back to some of the episodes and I'm like, you know, when I was in Australia and when I was in Germany and I like to travel and why doesn't everybody travel? And I'm like, wow, does that sound snotty? I hope not. Not everybody can afford to travel. Parts of my life have been absolutely crappy, crappy and difficult. My left, my life has had a lot of death and a lot of loss and a lot of pain. But it's also had some really high highs mixed in with those low lows. I've traveled all over the world, not everywhere, but all over the world. Some people will never leave this country. And I try to remind myself of that when I'm feeling envious, when I'm feeling jealous. It's important to say to yourself, you know what? A, we don't know what's going on in this person's life that we're probably jealous of. But imagine you had their life and you didn't have yours. There's a whole bunch of other crap that comes with it. And like I said, with the whole long legs and short torso, yes, that's more of a joke thing, but it's still a good analogy. My legs are strong. They, I have been a runner my entire life. I love to run. But I have knee problems and I'll probably end up having to get double knee replacement. 
the same legs that I've gotten compliments on for my entire life. My knees are crappy and I have to get cortisone shots in my knees so I don't have so much pain. So from the outside, somebody might look at me and say, man, look at her run her legs. But on the inside, I have to deal with the pain and not being able to run marathons as much as I like to. I've run two marathons. If I had my way, I would keep running them. So there's always something that isn't fair to you that somebody else isn't going to experience and vice versa. And I think in saying all this, it's a reminder to myself. It's very easy to just go, oh, that's not fair. I remember the first, I, I, I live in the house that I, uh, my husband and I bought a little over a year, let's see, we bought it last September, so just like 13, 14 months ago. And we looked for a house for nine months, which I've heard longer horror stories. But for me, I just thought we would like look for like a month or two, and then we'd find our happy house and then be done. And it wasn't like that. And we had, we found a house and then they got in a bidding war and we lost. And I was like, oh, but that was the perfect house. And then we found this other house and I was like, oh no, that's the perfect house. And then that one fell through. And then we found a different house and it, I swear to God, I was like, this house was meant for us. And there was this whole thing that happened with the past owners and there was this thing and all this stuff and months went by and we kept working and trying to make it work. And then it couldn't happen because of a technicality of the past owners. And I was devastated. I was like, we put in so much time. That was supposed to be my house. And literally four days later, this other house popped up and I'm like, oh my God, that's going to be the one. And we lost that one too. And each time I was just so upset. I'm like, why are these people getting my house? And then when we found the house that we live in now, it was like a beautiful storybook thing. I had seen this house, and I told this story before, I had seen this house years before we were even looking to move, and I would purposely drive by it because I thought, I would love to live in a house that looks like that. I love craftsman-style homes. I've never lived in one. I, always, I grew up in the cookie-cutter suburbs where every house looks the same, where every four or five houses looks the same, which is fine, happy, healthy childhood, but cookie-cutter, not my thing to all, all, no disrespect. If that's your thing, they are nice in their own way. Just not my thing. You may not like craftsmen. So just so I don't put anybody down, but I've always wanted to live in a craftsman house and I would work, I worked near this house and I would make sure I was like, wait, where is it? Cause there's one that's kind of similar, but I knew this was the one that I loved and I would drive by it. And I would literally just look at it. I would drive slowly and I pointed it out to my husband. And this is like five or six years ago. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's nice. I like it, too. And then we forgot about it. And then after all those losses of those other houses, this house came on the market. And I was like, oh, oh my God, that's my house. That's my house. And there was already an offer on the house. Long story short, another bidding war. I was on the edge of my seat, biting my nails. We had to wait like three days for the owners, the sellers to make a decision and we won. And I can't imagine myself living in all of those different houses that the options, you know, that we had looked at. There were problems with each one of those houses, but this was the house. It just, it, it was meant to be. So it's very easy to look back and go, that wasn't fair. It's not right. Why did that happen? Oh, yeah. Life doesn't make sense all the time. I wish it did. It doesn't. Things happen to people who you seem like, really? That happened to them? But as I think I said in my last episode or maybe a couple episodes before, comparison is the thief of joy. And it's really true. That's a great saying. And when you, when you look at life and start trying to size up what's fair and what's not fair, then you're comparing. I had a therapist once who said, compare and despair. If you compare your life to others, you will be in despair. And it's true. 
So instead, I think it's important to just take a look at yourself and go, what are the things that I'm grateful for? You know, I talked about that in the last episode, having gratitude for a difficult friendship that it's still in my life. I am grateful for this house. I am grateful that I lost all those others. And even though my knees hurt, I'm grateful that I was able to run two marathons. Those are two of the biggest, most physical accomplishments of my life. Two of the best days of my life are when I finished those marathons, 26.2 miles. And I did it. And each mile, I was like, am I going to be able to do this? Every few miles, I was like, what was I thinking when I decided to do this? And I did it. And so it's easy for me personally, and I'm sure in some ways it's easy for all of you to have those moments in life when it just doesn't feel fair. Somebody today or tomorrow, better yet, not better yet, but just for the sake of this story, somebody tomorrow is probably going to be diagnosed with cancer. Somebody today died of COVID. That wasn't fair. But you and I are breathing and listening to a podcast. I'm talking on a podcast, which is a dream of mine. Many people would love to do a podcast and are too afraid. I was afraid, but I did it anyway. So fairness is tricky. It's very easy to think everything looks great. You know, the grass is always greener on the other side. Or why did this happen in my life? Why did that? It is important to just say what instead of why. What am I going to do now? What's next? I hope that Janet Hubert did that. As we saw on her IMDb, she kept working. And it didn't look how she expected it to look. And most of the time in life, life doesn't look how we expected it to look. But I think if we look hard enough... We're going to see beauty and good and kindness and experiences that are pleasurable and positive and hope. And so when I think back to that little girl, little Jody, who was like, that's not fair. I think back to all the fun little experiences that I had when I was little and the friends that I had and the places I got to go and the things that I did my life is my life. It's my story. And your life is your story. And sometimes it's really hard. But hopefully, we can all take a breath and just go, <sighs> no, it may not be fair, but it's mine. And I'm still here. I'm still kicking. And that's all there is in living a life of gratitude and I think that that's how you can really see that when you focus on fairness it's kind of unnecessary it's human it's understandable but unnecessary that's my story and I'm sticking to it